The Nasdaq kicking off March with a new intraday high, topping its previous best level set in November 2021. And we're coming to you live with the action from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Bruised Apple, while markets seem to hit one record after another, the longtime biggest company in the world is not coming along for the ride. What's it mean for the tech giant and for the strength of this rally? Plus, old Dell, new tricks. The legacy tech company soaring to all-time highs after its latest earnings report showed surging demand for its AI servers, how the news could shake up the competition in the space. And later, vaulting Viking shares of the biotech company more than doubling this week as its weight loss drug promises some serious competition for the big players. Could the positive results mean an acquisition is in its future? We'll dive into the options pits for some answers. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, Courtney Garcia, and Guy Adami. We start off with that record-breaking start to March. The NASDAQ jumping more than a percent, notching its first record intraday high since before Thanksgiving 2021. The tech-heavy index closing just below 16,300. The S&P also marking all-time highs, putting in its 15th record close since January 1st. But there has been one notable name sitting out of this market rally. Apple posting another loss today and is now down nearly 10 percent since hitting its record in mid-December. So whatever happened to that old idea that we like to say, mm-hmm. bandy around here, that markets could not go higher without Apple? What does this mean for the rally? Is this actually good news for this market guy? I, I'm one that adhered to that. And again, we play this game often. If you had told Mel. Yes. Guy, if I had told you Apple would be Hold trading. Hold on, is that third person reference? Trailing. Was that a third person? Well, he's not the way I did I it. what I would say to him. Because I said what she would say. Okay, because it was, so he's it was uncomfortably close to a well, third person reference. Well, that's, we're, we're very uncomfortable at times here. But you know what? We'll bring it back a little bit. <laughs> Apple's below 180. Where's the S&P 500? I don't know, Mel. It's got to be down a few hundred points from the all-time high. It's not. And Apple has not been trading well since December or so. So what's happened here? Well, maybe it's become a source of funds. You know, maybe people see the growth isn't there, the valuations extended, and it's not justified where other companies at least have the growth that maybe you could wrap your head around. So I think that's what's going on. But to answer your original question, Absolutely not that I think Apple would be under pressure and the broader market would be making all-time highs. I mean, the context, too, is that the MAG7 no longer trades as a monolith. We've seen Tesla drop out. We've seen Alphabet drop out, Apple dropping out. And maybe this is actually good that maybe some money is being transferred to other areas. I think that's what you want to see, right? We don't want just five companies leading this whole market rally higher. We want the entire broad markets rallying. And you're starting to see that. The market is broadening, I think, more than people realize, right? I mean, you have even things like healthcare and industrials are actually also hitting all-time highs in the last week. And even things like um, the, things like your financials are actually starting to get up to those levels, too. And I think that's what we need is a broad market rally. That's what we're seeing. That's much more indicative that this has more room to continue to run. These all new highs, remember, are from two years ago. Markets have gone a whole lot of nowhere in the last two years. We still have ways, some go- way, uh, ways to go here. I think Apple, Apple's the number two in the NASDAQ 100. Number one is Microsoft. They're both about 8% or so. So Tim always points this out. The Apple has been underperforming for quite some time in the in the overall market. So I don't think this is anything necessarily new. But how does the market perform when we all start to look at it? If that makes sense. We, we haven't acknowledged the fact that it's been underperforming until so it has been underperforming. But because we haven't talked about it, yeah, like I, I mean, never have not if a tree, if a tree falls now, in the forest. Yes, exactly. Did, uh, 
did it ever fall? So you know, right well, now, it's been going on for quite some time, and the market has been performing just fine. Okay, so now that we know that it's happening, Steve is, now that we, Steve we, is we, out at Apple here. Steve is out at people Apple. People might start to use it as a source of funds now that people so you increasingly. Think the selling pressure increases here. I think it could, and I also think that you could see sell pressure in Microsoft because of everything that's going on with Elon Musk and OpenAI. So if you start to see the top two holdings of NASDAQ under pressure, Microsoft means a lot more to the overall market than Apple does. I use my decoder ring. Yeah. Well, let, let me let me lend some that ring. <laughs> let me lend some sanity here. I, I think it's, oh, I think it's all I think it's all I think it's all about semiconductors, folks. We don't need Apple because we have semis. Semis have outperformed the S and P by twenty percent uh, since January fourth. The, the, the entire S and P that everybody thinks is having a great year, and it is having a great year. Uh, semiconductors until they stop showing leadership, um, we are fine. And not only that, they've set the stage for the market for the last year and a half. So again, if semis are outperforming. NASDAQ or triple Q's, SMH over Q's equals S&P higher. And until that stops happening, we don't really care about Apple. And, and, and what happened today to semiconductors that the, the Sox, the Philly, whatever you want to look at, the SMH was up over 4% when, in fact, we've rallied. You know, so it's a 20% move in the semiconductor index, its own index. In other words, it's, it's moved 20% higher in a month. And this is coming. Yes, we got NVIDIA's earnings. We know what was happening. We're getting some real positives out of mm-hmm. out of AMD and where they actually may be ready to compete. We heard from Dell. I mean, everybody that actually may have a, a real ability to throw their, their hand into the ring. So that's important. Courtney talked about market broadening. I think this week was all about that. I don't as much as it was about semis and today's four percent moves is extraordinary. It really is a breakout in healthcare. It really is a breakout in retail. It really is a breakout. Energy catching fire here. All of these sectors. And this tells me that we're getting allocation. And it tells me that people are allocating. It's not uh, it's not the other, you know, it's not the seven. It's not even what happened to the other four ninety three. They're playing ball. And and I think they're going to continue to play ball. It's quick math. You did you see that seven four ninety three? Yeah. All thing work. All thing work. It's clever like that. Good luck. It's interesting. AMD. We, we were sitting. We were. We were together. We were in. We were at the Found As Blue we Hotel. Are. Oh, which sounds are. odd, but actually we we're there for work. And we were sitting <laughs> out by the pool doing our show. AMD reports earnings. It closed at 169. It was 164 in a heartbeat. The fourth quarter was okay. First quarter guide was not great, and the semi stocks were going ballistic. Stocks added 25% since then on maybe some news, but, you know, AMD's all of a sudden gotten itself extraordinarily expensive, where this was an extraordinarily cheap stock two and a half, three quarters ago. So it's that fast you can go from valuation, it's, you know what, you can get your head around to valuations that don't make any sense at all. We say we didn't need Apple because we had semis. Do yeah. we really mean AI? I mean, is that really the... Yeah. What you mean to say? Well, I think it is, because if 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 Apple's growth was more about reaffirmation of a consumer and a services business and a multiple expansion, um, multiple expansion and AI is we'll ask questions later and we'll we'll price NVIDIA on a twenty five uh you know, EPS multiple of north of $25, which makes it, by the way, not an expensive stock. So yes, that's exactly what's going on. And and whether that's right or wrong, and we, we're, we're now questioning how big this pie really is for everything. I mean, I, I understand that NVIDIA is a winner, 
But I'm not sure if we have a bigger pie to draw from, and yet we're pricing everything higher. And, so. and without AI, you get commodity pricing. You get boom bust. Right now, that's extended the cycle for chips, where normally chips would run in these cycles with the economy. Now they're running into a different cycle where Is AI. A super cycle? I, I don't know if you could call it a super cycle because that makes me think you should the short it. secular growth story. I'm just trying it, to think of all these buzzwords we're, we're, that we apply to you things. Can't, you can't go from Pixie. Well, think about find Pixie. Out it doesn't actually pan out. Well, think about Pixie dust, right? Yeah. We, we were all talking about Pixie dust, and NVIDIA proved that they could make billions off of something that was tangible. Now we're starting to see who could actually make revenue on pixie dust that's no longer pixie dust. We saw that Salesforce can't do it as of yet, right? So AMD can do it. NVIDIA can do it. The chips can do it. The rest remains to be seen. Look at Broadcom's the name we actually have done a decent job with. I mean, it looks expensive because it's a $1,400 stock, but then you start doing the math and say, wait a second, this stock actually only trades at 25 times next year's numbers. I got to tell you something, that's more than reasonable in this environment. I think they report next Thursday. So, you know, there are stocks in a secular shift that makes sense. To me, there are other stocks that have just gotten way ahead of themselves. So here's a question at this point. If you had a dollar, ten dollars, one hundred, whatever amount of Sounds new like money right now that is uninvested on the sidelines, um, where Great would you game. put it to one of these sectors like a healthcare or retail that are showing signs of, of breaking out, catching up with the rest of the market, or would you put it in the AI trade? I mean, I think you need both, right? I mean, I think with new money, I'm absolutely leaning towards healthcare. By the way, she didn't answer the question, but that's fine. (laughs) Don't worry. It's in my head. It's in my notebook. Reminds me of bicep. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Because really what you're seeing, I mean, there's a fish like a feeding frenzy when it comes to AI. Companies are realizing if they're not getting into it, they're going to fall behind. And so you're getting everybody is mentioning AI. They're trying to find some way to become profitable. And you know, there's a lot of cases and not a business use for it, but it's creating this frenzy where they're they're getting more chips and it's arguably making this double ordering issue where they're getting a lot more chips than they need. Down the line, you may actually see a glut because of that. And I think you're seeing that going into the share prices and it's becoming these high valuations where everyone says, oh, it's going to keep going. Probably will for a little while as you're seeing people chase it. But longer term, I think I would look at something like a healthcare, which I think is going to continue to be profitable and it's undervalued compared to those items. Same question to you, Grasso. I would go XBI. I would go biotech. Over AI. Oh, over, over, well, right now, so I agree. Shockingly I to, answered the question, by the way. Yeah. Well, I always right answer the question. I always, and I always job. bring everything back to would you rather, but you don't like that either. So for me, for me, I would go biotech, and I, and I think you have to go with the smaller cap, the more equal weight, as Carter Worth would talk about, versus the IBB, you go XBI. And I think you have a lot more bang for your buck there. Tech is only up in XLK terms. About 9.5% year-to-date, XBI is up about 13.5%. I know it runs counter to the growth dynamic, but I love utilities here, and I love MLPs. Uh, utilities have so underperformed. There's a, you know, there was a question last year whether they really could you know, exist, so to speak, with the higher energy costs, the higher yield costs, uh, a lot of the infrastructure build out, but a lot of utilities were under, under a whole lot of pressure. MLPs, what we've proven is that a, a lot of these, call it, you know, uh, Mid-tier companies are actually making money, and they're much more CapEx defensive. And I just think there are places in this market that continue to look good. It's not necessarily that the equal weight S&P is is outperforming. It's all the sectors that have underperformed that are real weightings in the S&P. I mean, utilities aren't a massive weighting, but they're 3%. You know, energy's 4.5%. Energy is starting to break out. I I think these are places to play. Energy. And I like being the last because I can listen to all the other answers and then have time to think about it because it takes me time. And that's the best you came up with. Well, it is. But look at it. Again, just look at crude oil. Stealth rally, nobody's talking about number one. You look at some of these names that we talk about all the time, all of them making all-time highs. Yes, 
big cap integrated, no bueno. But you know what? XLE is actually quietly getting itself off the mat, trading around 88 or so. OAH north of 300 again. I mean, I think people are not paying enough attention to energy. All right. Well, with the Nasdaq setting a new record today, we thought it'd be a good time to take a look at the market technicals. The chart master, Carter Braxton Worth, joins us now to dive into the charts. Carter, what are you looking at? Sure. Let's go around the horn and look at some major averages or indices and where they are now in relation to their former highs of late 2021, early 2022. Let's put up the first table. So all three of these, uh, well-known, of course, S&P 500, the Dow, uh, and the Nasdaq Composite are all above their former highs. So two years later, S&P up 6.6, industrials up 5.7, and as you just mentioned, the Nasdaq Composite making a slight new high. Now then, of course, we have those that haven't quite recouped all their losses. So the S&P 500 equal weight is not quite back to unch. The mid-cap index, not quite back to unch, but close. The Russell 2000, nowhere near being close to having recouped its loss. And then the, the oldest index of all, interesting, the Dow Jones Transportation Average, is still down 13-plus percent from its former all-time high. So let's look at a, a chart or two of some of these, and we can um, uh, go from there. But uh, the question is, do we, do, we f chase the, do we chase the winners, right, or do we maybe play the laggards? So here's the S&P. Again, you're up 6%. But you'll note this. The S&P consolidated for one full month, actually five weeks, before it broke out, right? It got to the former high, consolidated, and then exceeded the high. Now let's look at the uh, next and the next, and you'll see that the equal weight has just now returned to that level. And the presumption is that it, too, as the S&P did, will back and fill at a minimum, meaning before you exceed a high, typically you contend with it. Look at the NASDAQ composite as well, and you'll see the same circumstance. So were these two that are um, catching up to the S&P do what the S&P did, one can anticipate backing and filling or backing away uh, before going higher. Uh, and then finally, relative performance is everything. So let's look at a, a ratio chart. This is the NASDAQ composite divided by the S&P, which gives you a relative strength line. And what we know is the NASDAQ Composite's relative performance peaked in 2021 uh, and still way, way behind the S&P. And then finally, of course, the NASDAQ Composite overall, its relative performance, the NASDAQ 100, is making new 20 and 30-year lows as we speak. Hmm. That's a, that's a very interesting chart, Carter. Um, I want to pose a question to you that I posed to the folks here on the desk tonight, and that is if you had to put fresh money to work today, where would it go? Would it go in the so-called winners, the mag five or however many you want to call it, or semis, or would you go to the sectors that show signs of life now um, and are catching up, like a biotech, a healthcare, retail, et cetera? Sure. I mean, I, I think it really gets down to large versus small cap uh, to some extent. And so I would answer it by saying I would rather have an overweight in a Russell 2000 IWM than an SPY. But I also like the energy theme that you all were uh, batting around on the desk. I think that that's a good play here. All right. Carter, good to see you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. IWM closed above 205. We've been pointing out that that's resistance. That's a very good sign without question. So he's on to something there. I mean, that's like a two-year resistance level that we're through. So we'll see if that plays out. What's that holiday on the 4th of July? Um, 4th huh. of July? That's the one. That's so weird. No, it, odd, right? But, you yeah. know, how long have we been doing the show? <laughs> 17 years. How long? Yeah, we, 17. It's always I just the, learned it's before always the, same the show. the same day of the week, right? Carter Braxton. 
The cat signed the Declaration of Independence. Well, not Car- not the one who was just No, 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 of course not. It would make him very old. Yeah. Yeah. But he's an ancestry. His relative, yes. So it's yes. incredible. I mean, I'd like him even more now. He's like American royalty. Sure he is. Well, speaking of, you know, <laughs> back back then we, we obviously became our own. We pulled away from our friends in Britain. And if you look at Britain and if you look at Germany and if you look at Japan, the international markets are outperforming the S&P. Quite so, a segue. So, yeah. well, that's what I do here. And so, oh, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's a case where when the S&P is working, historically we've seen international underperform and there's been reasons for it. Places where they don't have a whole lot of high tech and a whole lot of AI, um, I think, are responding. This is the whole thing about the real economy outperforming, and I think it's going to continue. And these are long cycles. This is 10 years of underperformance for the MSCI world uh, or the Eurostoxx 50. I think this is a trade you can also stay in. You like international, right? Absolutely, yeah. And we've been we've really been talking about that because tech's been outperforming. There's a lot less tech, G just alluded to, in mm-hmm. your foreign markets than there is in the U.S. And the valuations are still so much lower. Um, so again, you you want to own both of these, but absolutely with new money, yes, yeah, small caps, things like healthcare, things like energy, and absolutely international. That's definitely where you want to start to to allocate your assets to. If we look at international, you've got the making new highs. To Tim's point, you have Germany, France, Japan mm-hmm. making new highs, and uh, the domestic market here seems as though it's on fire. And I and I want to be cautious of it. We're due for some sort of a pullback, and I'm not calling for a bear market, but we do have to take a little bit of a a speed bump. But other than that, I think the U.S. markets will continue to lead. All right. Coming up, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Spirit Air System soaring on news that Boeing is in talks to buy back the company. We will weigh the pros and cons of this potential mega merger next, plus a casino crap out. Melco hitting its lowest levels in over a year after a disappointing earnings report. One of our traders says now is the time to buy this Macau trade. More Fast Money right after this. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing and Spirit Air Systems confirming after the bell that the two companies have held talks to recombine. Reports of the discussion sent shares of Spirit soaring during the regular session. Both companies saying, though, that there is no guarantee that a deal will happen. The news comes less than two months after the door of a Boeing 737 MAX 9 blew out mid-flight. And it's been a bumpy ride for the two stocks ever since Spirit was spun off from Boeing back in 2005. The stock saw its best stay since October, up more than 5% on this news. Meantime, Boeing down almost 2% on this news. Um, a lot of analysts say it would be good for Spirit in long term, possibly good for Boeing too. I, I, we've talked about this actually for years. Obviously, it's coming to fruition now. And we talked about it when Spirit was trading a lot higher than it currently is now. I do think something's got to be done here. Get up back underneath Boeing's umbrella and figure things out. Spirit should go significantly higher from current prices. But once again, Boeing at this $200 level, not because it's a round number, because actually it is technical support. This is where it's held a couple times. This is where it needs to hold now. Yeah. They also say that uh, Boeing could possibly pay all cash for this effectively and use their credit facility because they just they just paid down four billion dollars worth of debt recently. So their balance sheet's fairly good for this. Yeah, there's a price for everything. And I think that's what this comes down to. And also at a time when there's so much pressure and focus on on Boeing, who has outsourced so much to so many other companies. And this is obviously the biggest outsource. And that's really the problem here. And and there's a lot of people that have to see some kind of major change at Boeing. The FAA is going to continue to at least um, go out of their way to be vociferous on certain things have to change. This is 
is the kind of a thing about bringing a lot of this stuff back under their own roof again. Over the last 15, 20 years, Boeing has done a lot of outsourcing, and, and that's, uh, there's a high correlation to what's going wrong. If that's the case, then you would think that Boeing shares would be higher. If the vision is that they can come, you know, they can claw back some of these operations, put it under one roof, have more control over it, and get those you know, operations in order, maybe this could be a turning point. And I absolutely agree with that. But I wonder to a certain extent where you're getting like the boy who cried wolf, where Boeing, like we keep thinking that they're going to be turning things around. We've been thinking this for several years now, but there keeps being issues. So I think the rumors of this happening are not going to be enough for investors to jump in here. But absolutely, I think this would be a good thing for Boeing. I think they need to get some of that quality control. And they need to give the investors really the optimism that they have turned things around. So I don't think these rumors are enough, are enough of that clearly, but um, you have to see them follow through. Boeing's a duopoly, right? So it's, it's the reason why the stock hasn't caved further. If this were any other stock, mm-hmm. when, when Guy talked about the name, uh, the, if you would have found out the headline before and, and see what the price action is, yep. Boeing should be much lower than where it is now. Spirit needs Boeing. Boeing doesn't necessarily need Spirit. But the fact that they're hanging in around $200 is surprising for me. I, I think the stock should be much lower, but it can't go that much lower being a duopoly. It, to me, it just depends on what they pay for it, because Spirit will actually be accretive on a free cash flow basis. They have a higher free cash flow yield. One of the things I, I love about Boeing historically is this is a company that generates a lot of free cash flow. It's a company that I think will, again, it's a company that I think if you've got the right time horizon, whatever that is, uh, I think you're going to be happy with a Boeing investment here. It's not going to turn overnight. There's a lot more Fast Monday to come. Here's what's coming up next. Is today's casino crap out your ticket to cash in? One of our traders is racing his bet, the Macau trade. We'll test the odds on rebound roulette next. Plus, more love for Eli Lilly as Bank of America boosts its outlook on the pharma darling. Is M&A the secret to even more gains for this stock? We'll take a deep dive into the options market to find out. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on the newest entrance to the S&P 500. Pippa Stevens got the details. Pippa. Hey, Melissa. Well, Supermicrocomputer and Deckers Outdoor are set to join the S&P 500. They are replacing Whirlpool and Bancourt. These changes will go into effect prior to the opening bell on Monday, March 18th, to coincide with the quarterly rebalance. Supermicro, Melissa, really feels like a sign of the times here. Back to you. Yep, it does. Thank you very much, Pippa Stevens. I mean, <laughs> not too long ago, Supermicro was, wouldn't have been a candidate to uh, be added to the S&P 500. Um, Whirlpool going out. That's been uh, one of yours in the past. Yeah, it has. It, it, it's not been for a while. I, I, I'd say I'm neutral on the stock. We have seen it getting kicked out of the Dow as being a bottom for a lot of stocks. I mean, look at what it did for Exxon. Different circumstances. But for, for Whirlpool coming out of COVID where they were supply constrained at a time when they had demand, they ran into margin pressure on supply constraints. I think a lot of that has eased. I think there are challenges ahead on margins, but I think the stock's interesting. And I think you're actually at this point, it's gotten more expensive as the earnings have deteriorated a bit. But I think this is an interesting spot. And this might be that moment for the bottom. Decker's put up a huge quarter on February 1st. I mean, it's put does, up that, a- does that pain you to admit that it was a huge quarter for Decker's? No. I mean, should it? Let me ask you a question. Would you rather oh. Uggs or Crocs? What would you do? Well, that's a t- mom. You know, what would this you do? Fine, mom. No, I'm I mean, I, okay. Since you brought sorry, it up, sorry. and I have yeah. to pick sorry. Uggs. It's got to be Uggs. Interesting. I mean, Crocs to me are just—you've given like the up ones, on life if you right, wear so Crocs. The Uggs hide the toes, and that's so, size. So, so the ones with no back that you can slide right in with some fur. 
Well, oh. you'd need the fur. Anyway. I didn't see that. Well, you you get mad at me, and he did it. I'm not mad. No, I'm not. It doesn't. It does not <laughs> exercise me as much as some other thing. Because the quarter was, in the old days, that quarter should have been pre-announced to the upside because it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. A lot of upgrades on the back of it. But look at a Decker's chart over the last two months. You talk about parabolic. This is it. So if you're looking for a sign of a short-term top, maybe we just got it at 528 tonight. All right. Meantime, casino stocks crapping out today as investors <laughs> digest a disappointing earnings report from Melco on Thursday. Shares the Hong Kong base operator dropping nearly 8% today, hitting their lowest level since November 2022. Tim, you actually added to your position here? I did. Uh, these numbers were not bad, but they, they seem to be underperforming some of their peers in Macau. The good news for everybody is that Macau is starting to really take off. And if you look at the gross gaming revenue from Macau for the last month, it's actually now 22% higher than comparative time pre-COVID before everything locked down. So Patience is a virtue, I think, in across the casinos, especially those with Asia, uh, especially though Macau exposure. That's also been the case with Las Vegas Sands, which also pulled back. But I, I like the story in Melco. It's not terribly expensive. I think that they have a little bit of cover relative to some of the foreign players in terms of licensing, and some of those concerns are less there. I think just be patient in Macau. I, I, I do like this trade long term. You're watching casinos today. Yeah, and, and Las Vegas, I'm long it, and I'm long a little bit uh, from a little bit lower than where it is now. It's just basically a, a technical play for me where I, I thought most of the damage was done in casinos for all, all of the Macau headwinds that we were talking about. So I think it's a good entry point. This, is, this has been either Las Vegas or you go win or you go MGM, and it depends on where you want to play. I'm choosing Las Vegas, a lot more levers there. So you're, you're trying to create a, a would you rather here, and I'm actually going to take the other one. I'm going to go with MGM because I actually like the Macau play a lot, but I want to take something that's going to have a little bit of a more diverse. Um, what are you saying that she's not playing? She's not. I'm playing. saying it's really interesting what she did. She acted yeah. like she was blaming yeah. the, the would you rather on him, and she went ahead yes. and did it. I've never that's seen genius. that done before, and that's actually really yeah. good. like a Jedi mind game. Yeah, I, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you mentioned the three. <laughs> Um, but yes, I would look at something that has a more diverse uh, portfolio here because I like the, the um, optimism with Macau, but you want to make sure you also have U.S. and also online gaming. I think there's a lot that's going to be that's uh, going forward there. Coming up, more love for Lilly. Bank of America seeing even healthier returns ahead for the pharma giant. We'll dive into the call, scour the options market for takeout targets in the biotech space and specifically in the obesity drug space. Plus, the resource trade is in rally mode as investors take a shine to gold this week. We'll dig into the top names and help you mine for profits. More Fast Money right after this. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing out yet another record week today. The Nasdaq heading an all-time intraday high, finally surpassing 2021's previous record. It set a record close for the second day in a row. The S&P, meantime, closing above 5,100 for the first time, jumping nearly 1%, the Dow gaining around 100 points. U.S. crude oil also on the rise, briefly jumping above $80 a barrel for the first time since November, as OPEC Plus gets set to decide whether it will roll production cuts through the second quarter and possibly through the end of 2024. Meantime, our call of the day, some big lily love on Wall Street. Bank of America hiking its price target on the pharma stock to $1,000 a share. That's up from 800 That's nearly 30% upside from today's close. Analysts citing continued upside in diabetes and the obesity drug space, saying GLP-1s have more room to run, and that terzepatide, which is the active ingredient in Lilly's drug, those sales could surpass $60 billion by 2030. They're also saying all the other indications 
sleep apnea, NASH, which is the fatty liver, um, all of those are just underappreciated in terms of current valuation of the stock. Well, it's really easy to take an addressable market and go bananas with it. And, and I'm not, you know, we had a great conversation with Dr. Patel last night uh, about the platform effect uh, of, of what's going on at Lilly. And I, I, you know, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, there's, there's no question they're going to be able to not only uh, have the headline, but be able to drill in on some of the, the, the call it the ancillary dynamics, including, you know, muscle loss uh, while you're going through this weight loss process. So, um, I just think we're overdoing the addressable market. I think it's so easy to paint a picture of not only uh, the kind of pure medical dynamic, but then just the, the elective dynamic of weight loss. And I think you have to be careful. I wonder if, if you calculate the medical, the total addressable market in terms of how many people can actually afford it or have cover, insurance coverage of it, how much that would go down, how much smaller that total addressable market would be. So, I would imagine much smaller. I don't need yes. to get into the results of this, but I had a, you know, as we get older, we have physicals, right? So I went in to see my Why are you looking at me? Recently. Well, oh, you look straight at me when you said that. I was well, just looking for some affirmation. I mean, anyway, I, you know, so I'm talking about myself right, here. Tim? So I went, everything's fine. <laughs> okay, um, but I went to see Where? my doctor and, and I asked her, I said, look, by the way, considering, you know, we're in an area of New York and I think the demos are something. I'm curious how, what percentage of your patients are electively asking for GLP-1s? And she said probably 25 to 30 percent, which is crazy. It's absolutely a lot. And it's a demographic dynamic that I don't think is anywhere near as high uh, in other parts of, uh, you know, the, the city, the country, like rich whatever. parts of the country. I, I think and, and people that are geared a particular way and, and are looking for, you know, those kinds of results. 10 p.m. last night. I watched your documentary. Outstanding. If you haven't, you should. The price ranges now range from 540 to 1000. I think Morgan Stanley was the first to put a thousand dollar price target on Lily for all the reasons we talk about. Tim talks about competition. You watch your doc. It's absolutely coming right now. It's a two horse race. Novo and Lily. Competition is coming. When competition comes, what happens? Margins decrease, and, and obviously prices start to come in, and your earnings theoretically should come in as well. And we talked to you the other night with Jared about this. You have to talk about a company that is currently doing $50 billion in revenue. You've got to almost triple that to justify the valuations you're seeing right now. Let me, let me put this out, though. Throw what it if out. Com- what if competition is like a Viking Therapeutics, which may not necessarily have the, the cash to bring it all the way through the manufacturing process? And even if it does, let's say it does, and it goes through with it as an independent, standalone company, it will be years. And in yeah. the meantime, if this analyst at Bank of America is right, then from 2024 to 2030, terzepatide sales are ramping. Mm-hmm. And if they're still the two-horse race, can we still see multiple expansion? I think, I mean, for, the, for right now, that's the question, right? I mean, can this stock go higher, even if the other companies are in parallel but, working on competitors that may take some of that market share, but much later down the road? But back to Bank of America's note, when they, when they put the 30% upside on it, at that level, it's over a trillion-dollar company. I mean, Staggering, and, isn't it? And, and, and it was a $125 billion company pre-COVID. So um, I don't know. Maybe. Lilly is the NVIDIA in this space. It's theirs to lose. And when you talk about competition, you look at an Amgen that was $320 that I was long and I've sold out of it. It traded down to below $280. So they've gobbled up a lot of their competition. They're the elephant in the room. And if one of these smaller players makes a mark, they could gobble them up without even burping. It's still Lilly's to lose. 
And I think that's actually why, as an investor, it might be really worthwhile to look at something like the IYH, where Lilly is actually one of the largest holdings there. There's probably going to be a lot of M&A activity in this space, and it's going to be really hard to choose who are going to be those good players and who maybe still does have a lot more growth potential that maybe they are tapped out to your point. So I'm not negative on Lilly, but I would maybe say get a diversified portfolio. It's probably a good play here. It's interesting that Steve mentioned bur- because burping apparently is – one of the oh, gastrointestinal excuse related me? issues. Yes. As a side effect. So you can imagine what that would do to me. You wouldn't even want no. to talk about it. It's not even worth getting into. Gastrointestinal issues and you are already a problem. So I, I'm a problem for a number anyway, of different reasons. There are people, have, there people laughing in the back. Way too I mean, it's not even it's Friday night. They're laughing. It's a family show. Let's move on here. Speaking of competition, shares of Viking Therapeutics continuing to climb. The stock soaring earlier this week after positive phase two clinical trial results of its own weight loss drug. And the big move higher has some options traders stepping on the scales. Mike, has the action? Ooh. Mike, what do you see? Yeah, this one already had seen a big uptick in its options volume, and it traded more than two times its average daily call volume again today. And a big concentration of that flow took place on the April 125 strike strike call. So that's forty dollars than where the stock higher than where the stock closed today. That included a sale of two thousand of those for basically a million bucks, five dollars and ten cents a share. And I think that's against a long stock position. So. If you owned it at 20, which is where the stock was trading not that long ago, you just offset 25% of your purchase price by selling those calls, and you still have a whole lot of upside. And by the way, this is also a strategy that a lot of folks that are in the risk arb space like to do. If you're trying to bet on potential upside, maybe a takeout, you buy the stock, you sell those upside calls for a little extra juice. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe, uh, Dr. Patel was just saying, you're Pfizer, Tim. Should she sure was. Like Savvy investors. Savvy investors. Um, sorry, savvy drug companies like Pfizer um, yeah. would, would be wise to go make a move here. That'd be great. All right. And why are you just chuckling? Uh, it's Friday. I'm I in know. a really good mood. Yeah, I know. Yes. It's really. You know, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Do not miss an encore presentation of my new documentary, Big Shot, The Ozempic Revolution. It's airing again tonight on NBC's News Now platform, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, getting resourceful. Gold materials miners all up as the resource trade gets a boost. The names to watch next. And it looks like you can teach an old dog new tricks, a seasoned tech company that could be a catch-up AI play. The name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The gold miners ETF GDX popping more than three and a half percent today as the precious metals price flirted with the 2100 level again. Resource names like Agnico Eagle, Martin Marietta, Newmont, all seeing bigger gains in the broader market. Guy. Some of these are. <laughs> well, uh, it's interesting what? because in the acronym, in the CLAM acronym, and I actually it was CLAM to start. And you flipped it, yes. Flipped it. But if what's you in look, your CLAM? Excuse me. Uh, Martin Marietta. Take a look at the guy's CLAM. Is, is the oh. M and A is Agnico Eagle yeah. Mines. So I actually look a little bit of a day there. Mm. Get Lockheed to go, and we're in business. But gold is go. I, you know, <laughs> I hate to say things categorically. I'm saying this. Gold is going higher. I mean, it's hung in there like a champ. Rates of 10 years went from 380 to 430. Gold didn't budge. 10-year yields came off today. The dollar may be showing signs of topping out. I think gold goes higher from here. 
You know, when you look at GDX versus GLD, GLD is, is, is grossly outperformed in this. And, and it's just, it's a wonder. Usually you get that outsized beta play with GDX. It's not really happening. They're not moving in the same direction. I just wonder how much of this is digital gold because we've seen Bitcoin really have a day or have a month or have a couple of months since the ETF. And we're seeing grayscale Ethereum as well starting to pick up. That's up over 300% in the last year. So I think a lot of that is sort of muddying the waters around around gold. Have you put any clients into a Bitcoin ETF so far? Um, not by our recommendation. I've had people who have gone against okay. it and are still getting in them. <laughs> but no, we do not uh, recommend any Bitcoin. Um, and I think with gold, too, I think that the trouble is there's been so many reasons why gold should go higher. Like people thought, OK, if we have a large U.S. deficit, which we have, it'll go higher. If we have a default, it'll go higher. I mean, there's been so many reasons why gold should go higher and just has really not been able to break out really in the last four years. It's been in the same range. And if all of these things that should be the reason gone higher haven't brought it there, I don't know what it is that's going to bring it there. So I do like commodities. I look at more in the space like copper, which is used in electric vehicle engines. But some of these things that I, I think have a little more use case um, rather than just specifically gold. So I, I believe in long tail and long cycle investing, especially in commodity world. If you look at a 20 year chart on gold, I think you're going to think it might be one of the best charts you've ever seen. I think gold's going higher for all the reasons Bitcoin's going higher. I understand the sexiness of Bitcoin and why you've seen a faster move in. But um, the gold miners underperformance is frustrating because of the beta they should have to the underlying. I think some of it is just due to the, some of the operational dynamics of gold miners. And you know, we always question whether miners are throwing money out the window. Um, I, think, I think it's a great opportunity in the GDX. All right. Coming up is what is old, now new. Our next guest thinks this old school tech name could be the winning ticket in the AI trade. Melius Research has been right since we'll reveal the stock next. And Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of grocery retailer Spartan Nash. Catch the full interview. Top of the hour at Mad Money. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. So much AI attention has been lavished on the likes of NVIDIA, Microsoft, and Alphabet. But one old school tech name may be about to play catch up. Shares of Dell soaring more than 30% to its highest level since coming back to market in 2018. The PC hardware maker posted better than expected earnings yesterday and soaring demand for its AI servers with orders surging 40% from the previous quarter. Our next guest is one of 11 analysts upgrading the stock today. Melius Research's uh, Ben Reitzies has a street high target of 100 on the stock. Ben, welcome back. Um, there's a lot to unpack in this Dell report, including the read-through to an AMD and an NVIDIA. But first, with Dell, does this momentum continue in your view? Yeah. Um, I just upgraded yeah. the target today. We've had a buy for a while. Um, the momentum likely does continue. I mean, they are damaged. They did $2.20 in the quarter. They probably do a $2.50 quarter coming up. You can get at least a mid-teens multiple on something like that, which is a $10 run rate in earnings, and, and it can go higher. Um, Dell used to get like 27 times earnings when I broke into the hardware space over 20 years ago regularly. Uh, people forget those days. When you're secularly right, you can get a real multiple. We sort of teased the segment of saying, could this be the AI catch-up trade? Do you think it could be? <laughs> that was a big trade today, huh? Yeah. Um, 32 percent. I've never seen Dell. I think they've never done that. Um, I've, th this is like old school 1993 days or something. Um, it, it, it will catch up. I think that Dell is on the right track. I think Michael Dell showed that Dell is getting the GPUs while some others aren't. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they are doing a great job, they, how they're laying out the NVIDIA lineup, and they have an edge because of their brand. And 
Also, HPE may be distracted this year because they're doing a big merger. So Dell, Dell's got a lot of wind at its back, and I think it goes higher. This screams uh, about a market that's caught off guard. So you normally look for short interest in a name like this to see where everyone was on the right, right or wrong side. I don't think that's the aspect that happened here. I think it was just everyone has forgotten about yeah. Dell. So it, along with the AI, where Melissa said, that could this be the catch-up trade? There are other things that they're doing well as well, correct? Because if it's just the AI that caught everyone off guard, the stock seems to have the ability to retrace. Are there other stuff that's in the pipe that, that makes you more optimistic, not just AI? Well, they're executing really well. The quarter, they actually crushed the storage number. Everybody beat their storage in the fourth quarter, especially Dell. Maybe people are getting their data ready for AI and loading up on their uh, on their disks and flash, and we're starting to see some of that. So they're in the catbird seat there, but they're executing really well. They, uh, their financial acumen is very impressive. It's, the PC market's a little paused right now, and their, their margins are still really solid. And then that should pick up later this year, and they're in the catbird seat, and that's good for their cash flow. November 20th, buy Dell as an AI hardware play. $68 stock, I think, at the time. It's doubled. That was you. Yeah. So when you see this stock go up, you know, 50 percent in the two weeks or less, I mean, at some point, market forces sort of take over and you got to get some back and fill, we call it in our world. So do you, do you even waste time thinking about that or do you say, you know what? Yeah, it could go down 10, 15 dollars from here, but it's all systems go. I, I think we're in a, this. I'm so happy that I'm covering these AI stocks and at this time. This feels like the second time in my lifetime I've been through this. We're all talk about the 90s. But I am jazzed, and I feel like we are right in the beginning of it. I don't know what inning. Everybody thinks they're an expert. But we don't even have, like, the applications humming yet, and they're getting into enterprise. So I, I feel like we're really in the beginning here. I, I'm not sure where it goes. I've got a $152 target. I didn't know it would go up 32% today. <laughs> and it did. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we're in good. But watch other ones. You know, Intel's been forgotten. Maybe that's one of the next ones. They don't actually have the AI chip that the other guys do, but they're going to get some PCs and some good old traditional server love. So there could be some more catch-ups. So to reference Pearl Jam 10, uh, this song, why go? Huh? So why, don't, don't leave. Don't go anywhere. Stay here. My question really, though, is that was just... Um, Fortuitous, music. fortuitous use of yeah, we were talking about um, it, which is it. helping ratings right now. Break. Um, <laughs> like gold, ratings gold. <laughs> Why, you know, more broadly, this is a trading show as well as an investment show, and and semiconductors were up four percent today. Why? I, I mean, like I get what they've been doing for the last three months, six months, nine months. Um, I don't believe there were headlines today. Um, you talk to investors all the time. Do you have any sense of where people are, are underinvested, where they have uh, uh, missed a lot of this trade? Any sense of just the, the investor dynamics going on right now? Well, there's a lot of dynamics. I mean, on Dell, a lot of the view was PCs aren't so great. So we got to be short something or we got to be underweight something. And then it was like, oh, my God. They, they're crushing. And that was one of the best conference calls Dell's ever had, like going way back. So people were caught offside. But I think that people need to realize there's an AI halo effect that's going to take place if this is real. And we wrote about that when we initiated coverage several months ago now. And it's going to touch a lot of things. You're going to need a good network connection eventually. But you need strong processors, regular old okay. processors, GPUs. You're going to need consulting and a lot of things here. So we're feeling pretty good. 
All right, Ben, good to see you. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Better Thank you. Melius, uh, would you buy Adele here? Courtney. I would. I think for all the reasons you said here, which I think are really good points, you're going to see this return to hardware. Um, and I think Dell, which is kind of interesting, they have a lot more towards businesses than individual PCs. And I think we're probably going to see businesses start to catch on to this trend sooner or at least put the money there sooner. And I think that's likely going to be a benefit there. So I think it's absolutely something you want in your portfolio. Up next, final trades. Final trade, Tim. Happy 80th birthday, Roger Daltrey, GM. Steve. CRISPR, the stock has gone from 40 to 90, back down a little bit higher. Courtney. Uh, HP, we talked a lot about Dell. I think this has the same catch-up trade, a lower valuation to take a look here. Guy. A lot of money in garbage. Just check out the RSG chart. Unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you for watching Fast Money. Have a fantastic weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.